Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast. We're back for another week. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today. And joining me, the Rank God, Mr. Sam Ty. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are we doing, boys? Good weekends, lots of football. We had, we had enjoyable games all over the gaff. I had an interesting phone call from um, Gareth Southgate this morning. Hmm. Go on. Yeah. Well, you know, the Euro squads have been expanded from 23 to 26. Yeah. I guess who's getting the call up? Well, you and Dean, I imagine. Well, I'm going to go to the, the training camp under Stephen Kenny in Dublin. <laughs> I don't even think there's a limit on that. And I still haven't got called up. I know. It's me. It's me, Dean and Jack Grealish, the lucky three. But the condition is that Dean and I both play right back. At the same time as well. It's very <laughs> important. So you'll have heard a whoosh there, and that's because we had originally recorded things we love for this part of the podcast, as usual. Instead, uh, we're going to have to change tack a little bit because the news has just broken that Jose Mourinho has been announced as the new AS Roma boss for next season. So Sam and I thought it was pertinent to break that down for you. It is literally live, pretty much recording this. It was announced seven minutes ago that, that Jose Mourinho was going to be the new Roma boss. And we're still kind of coming to terms with it. We thought it'd be nice to come to terms with it with you live on air, eh, Sam? I guess so. Um, for, con- for context, by the way, obviously this comes out on the Wednesday. So this news is now 24 hours old for people that are listening. Uh, but for us, it happened seven minutes ago. And it's fair to say that this feels like a bit of a bombshell. Um, now we'll start with the fact that Paolo Fonseca, Tuesday morning, it was announced that he would no longer be Roman manager following the end of the season. Look, that's I think that's probably kind of fair enough. You take a look at the Serie A table and Roma have started to drift. In fact, you say they've started to drift. They're they're miles off the top four now. They're like they're like 14 points off AC Milan in fourth place. They've poured a lot of energy into this Europa League campaign. They've reached the semi-finals, which is a real achievement. Obviously, they're six-two down in the first leg, and there's not really a hope in hell of that being returned. So Roma have to start looking at next season. And they're, they're staring the reality of the Europa Conference League in the face, aren't they, Jack, in seventh place? Yeah. Well, in fact, they're going to have to fight fight for it at the rate that they're currently going. So yeah. there is a few kind of bits here. And it does feel like, you know, Roma have been very poor in big matches this season. Yep. Uh, I think it's fair to say, and we, we spoke about this on the podcast at length at times, that they just can't seem to beat any of, of the top seven, really, in Italy. Um, the fact that their defensive record is is reasonably woeful, despite playing, you know, a Fonseca three at the back to, to try and kind of shore that up a little bit. And I, and I can see why they currently want to move things onwards. I can see why they're trying to, to change things up. And the kind of myth of Rome, we've spoke about them as being kind of one of the old European giants that's kind of faded hasn't it they're they're no longer considered on that elite stage and while there is so much to love about Roma as a club still you know they definitely have come away from that top end now from Mourinho's perspective this is a job that 
you would say three years ago, he probably would have had no interest in. Um, you, you look at what the clubs he was he was aiming at. You look at the clubs that he's taken on. And this feels like a tier below at the moment. And I mean that with all due respect to Roma at the moment. That's that's where they feel in, in the pantheon of European teams. But saying that, is that maybe what Mourinho needs? Because he's actually you know, got to the point where I don't think top level clubs would be, be looking to pick him up. I think we've, we've got past that point. And maybe his thoughts are, if I'm going to restore my reputation, I'm going to go back to Italy, where obviously the last thing I did was win the treble mm. and, and take a club of a slightly lower stature right now, whose expectations are probably a little bit lower right now because of the last year and try and bring them back upwards rather than taking something on where, where the kind of level is already very high and needs to be raised. Yeah, you say you say the expectations have dipped this year. I'd say that I'd say that they've 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 dipped very steadily over the last decade or just over. I mean, Roma is a historic club. It is one of Italy's giants. It's one of the giants of the game, and I have a lot of love for it. But it's been about fifteen years since they've truly competed with the absolute elite, and they've they've spent a long period of time outside the Champions League as well. And it's interesting you say there. Um, you know, this isn't a job that Jose would be particularly interested in. Maybe three years ago, I think we said that when he took the Tottenham job. So it's interesting that he's obviously operating on a slightly different plane to what he was basically one decade ago when he lifted that treble with Inter. He returns to a league that he has had success in, but a league that has changed since he had that success. He himself has changed too. Um, we've all got an opinion on, on Jose Mourinho, and I, do not, I don't really 100% believe in him right now. I, like I have to be honest and say that. It's, it's been a bit painful to watch him uh, perform the same patterns over and over again. And lead himself down down the same sort of dark alleys and and end up divorcing from a club. It's he needs to find his mojo from somewhere. I must say he's taken a job much more quickly than I expected him to. Yeah, yeah, it does feel like this is a very very quick turnaround. And you know, a lot of us expected that time off, that time off before the Tottenham job, where he felt he looked and, and felt like he was you know returned to some sort of you know, moment in his life, he felt like he was, you know, sharp again, and he was speaking eloquently, and there was none of this kind of anger and aggression around him. Now, I don't think we've reached quite the levels of negativity that we saw at United with Tottenham. I don't think we ever got to that stage. I think it, it all probably happened too quickly to have, to have got to any point like that. But, you know, we spoke about no fans in the sang. ground as well. Exactly, have, right? Yeah. So this does feel like he's gone, right, I need to get back on the horse immediately. I don't need that break. Obviously, he'll get to the end of the season. He won't take over till next season. There still will be a three to four month break, but he'll be able to, to go straight in again. I'm going to be honest. I didn't think I'd be saying this right now, but I quite like it. I really go on, do. Go on and sell me then, because I'm a little bit sceptical. No, I, I I can completely understand why people are skeptical, and I still do think this is a bold move given the la the events of the last couple of clubs, right? And and the fact that it, what's happened in England. But part of me, and and often I think, as a pundit, you don't want to just go on gut feeling, right? But I do just have a gut feeling that this might work. I I like Jose in Italy. I like the fit with with Roma as a club who are floundering a little bit rather than, you know, the expectations, as you say, at Spurs being to immediately kick on and win trophies. This is the expectations are to, to put Roma almost back into the conversation. I don't think anybody is turning around and expecting Roma to win the Scudetto next year, right? Because That's right, that would yeah. be a serious jump. Whereas I think there was almost that expectation at Spurs that they were on the cusp and they just needed someone to take them over the cusp. And, and so with all of that in mind, the fact that it is in Italy, I mean, the fact that there's a lot of players here that I can see him 
see him working with and see it kind of fitting with. There's just something about this that I just kind of think, yeah, maybe. And look, you might come, we might come back to this in a year's time and be like, you're an idiot. You you <laughs> bought into the myth again. But you know, him in in the eternal city, as 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 we say, kind of like kind of turning Roma back into a side that have a little bit of edge about them. You know, I want to see him cupping Lazio fans and fighting Conte <laughs> on the touchlines. You know, as you say, Mancini in midfield, get someone like Daniele De Rossi in as his assistant. You know, like this, let's have it. If we're gonna have Jose Mourinho in Rome. Let's have it. Yeah, okay. Well, I'd like you said there that you, you can you can think of a couple of players there or, or quite a lot of players actually that you feel like could could really vibe under Mourinho here. And I actually did do a little top five of players that I think will will quite enjoy this. Um I'll see if you see if you agree. Uh in no particular order to be fair, but five that I picked out. I think Rick Karlsdorp fits his uh his fullback mould nicely. And I think Zaniolo and Pellegrini are a nice combo of technical ability and physicality. Kumbula, I think, is probably one of would be his favourite centre back at the yep. club, yep. and I think Jordan Veratu will be very happy under under Jose. So those are the five I immediately pick out and think. I think you're going to really like your new manager. Um, if you can sell me on some more, then then have at it. Well, I was I, I was kind of thinking slightly. Zaniolo was one of the ones I'm slightly more worried about actually okay. because there is that kind of in, injury tendency, and that's something that we've seen before Jose have problems with, you know, players who pick up injuries and, and Zaniolo is still trying to return to health and, and in a similar vein, Calafiori. I think Pellegrini will love yeah. Jose Mourinho and he will be loved in return. And I think yeah. that's that's a nice kind of touch. It's I, a good I start because he's, he's a Roman boy through and through. So it's a good start. I think that Ed and Dzeko might quite like this. Mourinho had a really good re- relationship when he was at Inter Milan with the elder statesman of his group, right? And yeah. it was about squeezing the last out of those players. I kind of think that Edin Dzeko might well be in that mould uh, of someone who who can be, you know, extend the top of their career by a little bit under Mourinho at this level. I just think there's a couple of bits. Is he still going to be there, Jack? Is he still going to be there? Well, that's Dzeko? a question. He wouldn't have been if Fonseca was there for another year, I don't think. But yeah. but with Mourinho in, he might be like, you know what? Let's give that a whirl for a year. I, I, I don't mind that. And, and then we see what, what comes out of it. And, there's a kind of half of me that thinks that Chris Smalling likes this a lot and half of me that thinks that he he kind of is a bit, is a bit worried about it. and it goes back to that injury thing right and that that yeah, yeah. kind of that foot break that he had and Marino didn't like it because he said he was wasn't playing through the pain but I do think there were periods where Smalling and Mourinho got on very very well you know at United and and like you say a kind of Max Kumbula Chris Smalling partnership at the back there might be something that, that may well interest him yeah, I'm a bit concerned about Smalling. That could go one or two ways because there does appear to be some reported history between them. And the same goes for Henrik Mkhitaryan as well. Um, so those are two players that he worked with at United that didn't necessarily end on the best of terms, if reports are to be believed. And if we're talking about Smalling as just a, just a player here and someone that would, would suit Mourinho, and we say the same about Kumbula, then I'm afraid I'm a little bit worried for Ibanez who is the opposite of these players in many ways. And he's arguably the most talented of the three. It's just that he's very different. And um, I'd be a little bit concerned for Ibanez. And my three were Smalling, Mkhitaryan and Ibanez as players who who might be a little bit concerned right now. Ibanez more than most. Just stylistically, uh, it's not quite the right fit, I don't think. If we're singing Kumbula's praises on one side, we have to be concerned about Ibanez on the other. 
Yeah, no, I think that's pretty fair enough. And then look, we'll see an overhaul, won't we? Like th- this is the key. There will be there will be changes this summer yeah. that the Mourinho will enact, and he will bring in the players that he he thinks he can trust. Like Karsdorp, I actually think Spinazzola might quite like this as uh, on the left hand side. Um, and actually, if the fullbacks get going and Calafiori can overcome that injury history, the injuries worry me, especially with Mourinho. But if he can overcome it, I quite like him careering down the left in the way that Karlsdorp careers down the right and I think Mourinho might like that as well so so that's where I'm at um, and, and obviously the rest of it is a little bit more up in the air because we don't yeah, know who yeah, will stay yeah. and who will go and there's and obviously also, loans a lot of this is based on what we think Mourinho likes based on previous jobs based on his last 10 years but if Tottenham's taught us anything those waters are, are pretty cloudy now he might rock up in Roma a squad built for Fonseca and on paper not Mourinho at all and completely change ways, change his way of thinking, and surprise us all, and make these little lists irrelevant. Not that they're never not irrelevant. Uh, or he might just completely overhaul the squad. I don't know. But the most fascinating strand in all of this is the rehabilitation of his own character. And like, it's not Mourinho 2.0. It's not Mourinho 3.0. It's like Mourinho 6.0. What does Mourinho 6.0 look like? I'm fascinated. I don't know. The myth of Mourinho and the eternal city. I, I, I have a soft spot for this. I, mm. I, and I don't know quite why, but my gut feeling is maybe, maybe. Okay. Um, and, and, and I think that that's probably about all, as good as it can get right now. But I think if anything else, we're going to we're going to see some some really exciting things going on in Serie A next year. Obviously, we're we're yet to find out what happens with Juventus. We, we assume Conte will stay at Inter and, and that will be an interesting battle in itself. The fact that the rest of the the kind of managerial squads are all a bit all over the place, and you have managers like De Zerbi and and Gasparini, who will be on paper the antithesis of this, coming up against you know a Mourinho, and we don't know where Maurizio Sarri is going to end up now. Could he be at Fiorentina next season, which is yeah. the one that was touted before the Roma job became available? There's just loads to be excited about, and it's just really like shot the shot that kind of Serie A expectation for me, which you know as we said this year, it was already a magnificent league this season it shot the expectation right back up for me next season i cannot wait yeah absolutely it's going to be great again absolutely right let's get on to the main ranking where sam has put together his list of every premier league record signing and then ranked them in order of plenty of things but talent importance value and uh it's it's an incredible piece of work so let's get at it can you hear purple Listen to turquoise? What's the sound of a rainbow? Let's get real. Trying to sell TVs with audio is pretty dumb. So listen to me, Joel McHale. All we want is great-looking TVs with our favorite features, like the quality of Dolby Vision IQ, the smarts of Android TV, and the vibrancy of Quantum.Color. TVs like the Hisense ULED series. Visit Hisense.com and see for yourself. Hisense. Let's get real. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC. And Sam, the floor is yours. I'm really genuinely quite excited about this ranking because it feels like it's from the, a bolt from the blue. Yeah, well, we snuck it in while Fulham are still in the Premier League. So we could give you two something to talk about. Lovely. Otherwise, it'd be a bit embarrassing, Pre- wouldn't it? Appreciate but, uh, that, mate. Yeah, no worries. It's all 20 Premier League clubs record signings ranked. And they're ranked 
according to what I think. You know, this is my podcast. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I've ranked them with success in mind, but with the ones that have only been about for a year or so, we have to use some projection, right? So you've right. got players like Kai Havertz and Grady D and Ganner and Ollie Watkins who have only been there a year, whereas some of them have been there three, four years. So there's an element of projection involved as well. Look, the bottom four are absolutely like, they're just tragic boys. They're absolutely tragic. But before we get to this point, I need to ask you a question. What the hell do I do with Burnley? Now that's just not, that's a general question anyway, but specifically with regard to this ranking, what do I do with it? Because in every scenario, we've got either a clear record signing that's been stated, or we've got a couple of players on the same value, but one has add-ons. So for example, Havertz and Kepper. Havertz is going to cost more than Kepper. Kepper was a Eventually, buyout, Havertz yeah. is going to have, so I've put, I've put Havertz in, that's fair. Everywhere I looked, Chris Woods, and Ben Gibson were reported as joint club record signings. They both cost exactly £15 million. And while I was able to split a lot of them out, I don't really know what to do with these two. I think it's more fun if you put Chris Wood in here. Me too. Uh, I think just the, the general kind of vibe of the podcast goes up a notch if you include yeah. Chris Wood as Burnley's record signing. Okay, because Gibson yeah. was going to be last. Yeah, yeah, I thought he would. So let's not do that. Let's leave that. Let's give Burnley some credit and, and say it's Chris Wood. But yep. before we give Burnley some credit, let's talk about what Burnley did with Ben Gibson very briefly. <laughs> 63 Premier League minutes after £15 million spent. He went on loan to Norwich this season. They've been promoted. That's triggered a full buy of his contract. He's going to cost them £8 million. So they paid £7 million for 63 Premier League minutes. And he was, he's really good, by the way. Minute. He's really good. I like Ben Gibson. Like at Middlesbrough, he was... He was so good when they signed him. He was in yeah. such good form. And there was a lot of clubs like quite interested inside him at that point. And I think he thought Burnley was like the perfect kind of club for him. I don't know what happened. Maybe Did they buy him because they thought Tarkovsky was going to leave or something. It was a lot to do with that, yeah. Yeah, and they just never ended up... Tarkovsky didn't go, so they just never ended up using him. And obviously yeah. he got a bit disgruntled, fair enough. But Jack, are you doing some maths there? Yep, I am, yeah. And uh, it, it basically works out as £111,110... Well, £111.11... Uh, per minute or £1,851.85 per Premier League second oh my played God. for Burnley. That is one princely sum of money. Anyway, we're not talking about Ben Gibson. He can be removed from the bottom of the list. And, and everyone we... else moves down. Uh, <laughs> well, in 20th place now is Christian Benteke, okay. who cost £28 million or so. Mm-hmm. Good first season, 15 goals, but very much downhill from there. Uh, lots of injuries, to be fair to him. But three goals, one goal, two goals, and then six in this uh, this bounce-back campaign. He's managed six goals so far. But over the course of Benteke's Palace career, the defining memory is that he's missed an absolutely ridiculous amount of sitters. And you just can't really get away from that. And the fact that his contract expires this summer, so the asset value has become zero. They're, they're going to make no money back on him. This one just hasn't gone to plan at all. No, I think I call this the Timo Werner complex now, right? The fact that the fact that Timo Werner has 11 goals and 13 assists this season, in which basically means a goal contribution in every less than every two games, doesn't matter because he's missed so many sitters. Like, and and, and I think in the heads of fans, that's always what's going to jump out first, right? That's exactly what what comes to mind. And and you're completely right on Benteke. Like, it's not the worst. That first season was all right, and and it hasn't been desperate and i think a lot of palace fans were genuinely really really keen for him to succeed even now like for him to bounce back and do well but 
Yeah, the facts are they'll look back at that and be like, ah, that just hasn't worked, has it? Really good player. Brilliant for Villa. I have no, I had no issue with Liverpool signing him for 32 million. Had no issue for Palace taking him for 28. Like it, at no point was it a bad signing at the idea stage. It just hasn't worked. Um, and talking of signings that, that that haven't worked, I'll, I'll do the next three because I do have this clear bottom four. So Benteke is bottom in 20th. Next is Sebastian Allaire. And this isn't really his fault, but he cost 45 million and they gave up on him after a year and a half. At some point in the process, Eintracht Frankfurt reported West Ham to FIFA for not paying an instalment. There was a dispute over some payments. They never played to his strengths. He never really got going couple of injuries in there as well. They gave up and they lost half their money on him. They just didn't pursue with the asset. And that's a real shame. Next up is Joel Linton. And for Joel Linton not to be bottom here is crazy, but Joel Linton at least is available. Like he's always willing. He'll always play. All right. He's probably not good enough. Yes, there's an idea that he's been miscast as well. But five Premier League goals and 66 appearances isn't great. The thing is... They'll probably, they haven't got to the point like with Benteke where they've lost all the money on the asset yet and they haven't given up on him and just made an absolutely massive loss like they have done with Sebastian Allaire. So that's why I ended up putting him above those two. And just to round off the bottom four, in 17th place is Nicola Pepe for Arsenal. Oh, this is low. He's a good player. But yeah, this he's, is low. But he's obviously not worth £72 million, not even close I question this signing at 40 million, let alone almost double. There's some good moments in Pepe and some really nice set pieces and a few really nice goals. But you've paid 72 million pounds for a player that is not even a nailed on starter in your 11. And you are a mid-table club. What the hell has happened there? Mm. Yeah. This is this is a this is the, I think this is the first controversial one, Sam, if I'm honest. Mm. This is the first one where I think maybe there's still a little bit more projection to come here. Like Nicola Pepe has has done well on the European stage this season. Yes, he's been poor domestically, but Arsenal have been poor domestically as a unit. Mm. Uh, and I do think that he will be part of this squad for a while going forward. I think he, he is going to, to carry on in an Arsenal shirt and I, I do think he'll improve. I hope he does. Yes, <laughs> <He has> too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they... Lil pulled their pants down by charging him £72 million because he he wasn't worth half of that. He had a great season, but no, this is like even Lil knew this. Lil knew that he wasn't worth this kind of money. Um, and Arsenal signed him, yeah, £72 million. I guess their argument is that they pay the £72 million over the five years of his contract. It's not five years, is it? They've got a Klarna deal. It's like over 15 million years. They pay one P a week. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, there's no way that Pepe was worth what they paid from him, for him. Um, and still, even when he has flashes of showing what he's capable of, he then isn't like often used in the same way for the next game. So they're still not getting the best out That's of That's not him. hugely his fault, though. No, no, it's not. No, but, um, no, but it doesn't matter. It's still a bad... It's like Sam's still right to put him in the bottom four. The, the one thing I couldn't get away from is that is that he's he's genuinely not a nailed-on starter in this team. And yeah. They spent £72 million on him. Like, it's just... That's just not acceptable. It's just yeah. not. Like... They've got like five attacking midfielders. And they've got like, all these kids coming through that are looking for roles who actually seem to be equally as good. <laughs> well, That's the better. other thing. There's a club that has Zachary, no money Zachary to spend. Is miles, yeah, is miles so much better. better. Smith, Smith almost Smith everyone else. in there as well. Yeah. And, you know, you could name probably three or four others that are on the fringes that are so talented from their Arsenal Academy. Um, and they they need money to fill in other positions. <laughs> and they were saying they haven't got any. And they were worried about the wage bill. And then they're doing this. 
Ridiculous. By the way, Sebastian Allaire, do you know he hasn't lost a game since he joined IX? Because yeah, he didn't register him. They didn't register him for Europe. But yeah, so as a result of that, he's only played in league games, has never lost one. He'd played 16 games for West Ham, scored three goals. He's now played 16 games at Ajax, scored nine goals, um, assisted five, never lost a game and won a league title. Lovely stuff. It's not, nice bad. it's not a bad move, is it? <laughs> no, he's done all right there. Done ranking okay. ranking mid-season upgrades for players. <laughs> yeah. Good call. Yeah. Good call, Sebastian Allaire. All right, into 16, into round off the bottom five. Um be interested in your first reaction to this. I've put Vestergaard at Southampton. Okay. How much was he? So he was 22 and a half million, okay. which makes him a little bit more than, than a couple of players there, but particularly Danny Ings. Danny Ings, if he'd been the record signing, we're talking about a different story here. But Vestergaard signs 2018. Mm. Um, he's a bit meh, isn't he? He's, I think that would be the word I would I yeah. would describe. Like he, I, wouldn't have, he, I didn't know he was their record signing, and I'm, I'm very surprised that he was because I... Just have him as a middle of the road Premier League player. Yeah, he's he was not very, he wasn't great for quite a while. Yeah, and then he had a really good run this season, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, like where has this guy come from?" Like, the, like his raking passes out of the back have been amazing, and he he finally adjusted to playing in a relatively high line at Premier League level. But it took him like a good two and a half to three years to to actually manage to do it. For a long time, he looked like a player that could only play in the middle of a back three and looked like the Danish per Mertesacker and was not suited to playing in a high line in modern football. And he's overcome a bit of that, but he's actually slowed down again now again. And there are some errors in his game. There are some injuries. And I'd say that he's got, he's got one year left on his deal now coming up to the summer and Southampton are probably, probably not in a good position here contractually. I think he's overall just been a bit of a disappointment. And I don't think he's really, really promising three months this season can really save the overall face of this deal. Do you think they give him a new contract here? I think if they don't get a bid worth something somewhere in the 15 to 20 million region, then I think they'll have to give him a new contract. Yeah, I think they will. Like he's a serviceable player. Yeah. Um, to be honest, the, the, the player that's actually played worse than him recently is Bednarek um, in Southampton's central defensive line. So they've got some, they've got issues up and down that place. Um, he's, he's, he's not the, he's not the chief concern right now, but yeah, I think in that case you protect the asset, but I, I reckon if they got a 20 million bid, I reckon they'd take it. I'm going to just make you laugh here for a second, but just every time you say protect the asset, all I can think of is Sam's watched loads of the NFL draft this weekend and therefore is just talking about everything in asset terms. You did it on Monday's pod as well. And is, every time you do it, it just makes me smirk. I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's gone full draft on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's your bottom five. Okay. Let's move up. In at 15th. There's got to be some life in this one yet. So it's a, maybe a little bit generous. But so far, 27 million for Rodrigo at Leeds hasn't really worked out. I liked the idea of the deal. I was really positive about it. But at this point, I look back and I do ask why they actually did it. Because they don't want to play in wide. They don't ever want to play anyone other than Patrick Bamford up front. Bielsa is so loyal to him. And Rodrigo has basically ended up at central midfield. And he's yeah. like 30 years of age. And they signed him as Spain's number nine. And they've played him almost anywhere else. And I, I, I understand this deal. If he's 23 and you're looking to remold a player who's very snappy and good and aggressive in the pressing game and, can, and can, has good distribution and, and Bielsa thinks can use as a very kind of like a, like a, like a younger Mateus click in midfield. He's 30. Like Rodrigo is what he is. And what he is, is a very good player. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely loved him at Valencia. And he's fantastic for Spain. 
But they just Leeds just seem to have a completely different idea of what he is, and it's not really working. And because of his age, I can't really give him that kind of projection to get much better. It made loads of sense, didn't it, at the time? Yeah. When they signed him, I was like, oh, they've brought a pressing forward to basically share the load with Patrick Bamford to probably kick on if Bamford's goal return stays as low as it was in the championship. I guess the the killer here and the kicker is the Patrick Bamford's goal return suddenly just massively increased, right? It exponentially mm. bounced upwards. Bamford's been excellent for the majority of the season. And last year, a lot of Leeds fans, and I remember talking to them after Fulham played them and said, if we had Mitrovic up front instead of Bamford, we'd have won the league by Christmas. And, you know, it was like, well, it doesn't quite work like that because Mitrovic wouldn't press for you in the same way that Bamford does. He doesn't suit the style and Bielsa's loyal to him for a reason. And I think this year we've seen just why that is mm. we've also seen that flick from not being able to convert chances to being able to convert chances and suddenly leads look like have a very very decent goal scorer there and it does leave rodrigo kind of out in the wilderness a little bit so so i agree with you and again like is this completely his fault probably not i don't know if anyone could see or foresee at least bamford's goal return jumping up in the way that it did um, and then, you know, to kind of look at it from that perspective, you have to go, OK, yeah, it's not worked out, for, but probably for reasons beyond his control. Mm. Well, he signed, look, for the first part of the season, he did play as a support striker. Um, that was basically up till about November time. And then what seems to have happened is that Leeds switched from like a 4-2-3-1 to more of a 4-1-4-1. And as a result of that, he didn't really fit into the system anymore in the way that you'd initially envisaged. Now, um, I don't know how strictly you could say that Leeds stick to either of those systems, but um, perhaps it's just that Bielsa changed his mind after the first six, seven games of the season over how Leeds were going to you know, best attack season. Because don't forget, like the first two games of the season, two, four, three is like as entertaining as that was. You've got no chance of survival if you're getting involved in seven goal thrillers every week. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a couple of warning signs there and things did calm down. But I do wonder if like, because like this year particularly, like he hasn't, I think in the last game actually against Brighton, he did play up front. But apart from that, he's he's just been in midfield. So maybe it's just that, that Bielsa's had a change of thinking. Yeah, and that's why you buy, you know, in that situation coming up, that's probably why you buy younger players mm. so that they are a bit more adaptable. And Rodrigo, like, I'd say he's done a, he's done his best and he's done okay. He's never looked terrible, but like he just feels miscast in this team now. And I don't know, I don't know where the way out is. He won't enjoy that role, will he? That's not, that's like as a forward, mm. there's way too much work involved, especially in a Bielsa team. If you're playing in the center of a midfield <laughs> and like expected to do so many different jobs, yeah. that is absolutely not the role that he was filling last season at Valencia. No, no. Well, into 14, um, I've gone for Grady Diangana at West Brom, who I think on the initial fees is a less, slightly less than Salomon Rondon, who would have been really high in this list because he was brilliant. And when he left, they went down. Uh, but Diangana can reach up to about 18 million or so. So will eclipse probably will probably eclipse Rondon. I actually haven't seen this man since February, which isn't a good start. Um, he did have a really nice first couple of weeks, but flattened out. And I guess what I'm saying by ranking him 14th and above some of those more expensive assets is the price at, you know, 12 to 18 million for Diangana. It's not offensive. He's a young enough player to, to fulfill some potential. West Ham were, were very upset when they lost him or West Ham fans were and Mark Noble was, which, which tells you something about how, how good a player he was. And all right, hasn't quite caught fire in the Premier League this year. No one really has except Mateus Pereira. 
but he'll probably be quite important for them bouncing back next season and can probably go on to, again, salvage that career in a way that you maybe can't say for the others. So that's how I've ended up with him slightly higher up, although we're still not at the point where we're calling these signings good. Yeah, no, I think this is fair enough. Obviously, got injured uh, yeah. in, in January and, and it hasn't really come back into the side. He featured very briefly, I think, in a, off the bench at one point. Um, and then and then he's sort of been bounced off. He's been on the bench for the last couple of weeks. And um, you can see why he might not be the epitome of a big, a big Sam player. Mm. Um, and, and I do think that there's you know value in, in the fact that if, if West Brom get relegated, I'm not 100% sure that Sam Allardyce is going to be the manager next year. And therefore, Grady Diangana is almost certainly going to be a huge part, again, of a big championship season for yep. West Brom. Um, I, I think you're right here. I, I think this is it. The, the fact that this is 18 million just means it's just very decent value. And I think they're going to recover most of that, if not all of it, if they do decide to sell him on. Mm. Um, I don't think they will. I think they'll try their very best to keep hold of Grady Diangana. But if they were to move him on this summer, I think they would recoup pretty much that entire transfer fee and then some. And and therefore, it's hard not to look at him as a better signing than, than yeah. most of the above. Well, surely, surely they, if they're going to lose a player, it's going to be Mateus Pereira. And so if Mateus Pereira leaves, you need Diangana around. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's, it's just one of those that, that seems to fit and, and seems to be, as a long-term strategy, this is just fine. Like, yeah. I, I think he will come good. And I think in a couple of years, we might be looking at him at higher up this list if he's still West mm -hmm. Brom's record signing. But um, at, you know, at the point of, of, of where we are now, I think it's just a perfectly serviceable deal. Yeah. All right, into 13. And this is where we bring in our, our best friend, Andre Frank Zambo Angisa. Mm -hmm. Found this one really difficult. To place there's a couple here that you could kind of go you could swing one way or the other quite violently and Angisa, who i think is essentially going to eclipse uh seri as the record signing thank god for you guys there that seri is all not, a bit not, murky isn't not, it not the player on this list but seri was involved in some kind of double deal with maxime lamarchand from nice and and Gisa, i saw reports that he could hit 30 million in total and if that's the case it, it will go up and look he's a really good player i guess the sad thing for fulham is you you, you really just haven't seen enough of him. In that first season, he took a little while to get going. And, you know, by the end of the season, when you were doomed, there were two players that you guys were talking to me about constantly, which was Callum Chambers on loan, playing really well, and Angisa, who was really starting to flourish. Then he goes on loan to Villarreal when you go down to the championship. Fair enough. But again, you don't get the benefit of that. And then this season, he's been, he's been very good, I think. And then every now and then I look at your team and he's on the bench and I just go, oh, I don't know why that is. Um, so overall, I get the feeling that you just haven't been able to enjoy Angisa as much as you probably should have. Yeah, I think he's an exceptional player. It's just a shame that most of the time we've seen him being an exceptional player. He was wearing the yellow of VRL. <laughs> um, he, he was brilliant first half of this season. And I think there was a game against Leicester that Fulham won at the KP. And Angisa was just the best player on the pitch by an absolute mm. mile. Um, you know, dominating the ball in midfield, absolutely bursting through that their midfield to set up the goals for Fulham, and and he was just a you know completely authoritative presence uh, for Fulham in the middle. He got COVID over the over the winter period, um, and 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 since then has just not really looked like the same player. Um, you know, a very recently, last couple of games back, he's he's kind of been back to to full physical fitness it looks like being able to kind of come on and dominate and and really start to push Fulham forwards but you know it's another sort of four months in the middle of the season where we've just he's been on the bench and he'll come on and he looks a bit sluggish or he'll start a game and he looks sluggish and gets subbed at half time and I think given the midfield duo for a lot of it has been you know the, well, the midfield 
triumvirate that's kind of rotated has been him, Harrison Reed, and Mario Lamina. And considering the last two have generally been excellent, I think this season for Fulham, when he hasn't been on form, you can completely see why Scott Parker has left him out of the side. But I do mm. think on balance, he's probably the best of those three players. We just haven't seen it, especially since since he did get COVID and, and he, he looked like he really, really struggled with that recovery. And we've seen that from a couple of players this year, right? We've seen that mm. for, for, from a lot of players across Europe that actually the physical recovery from catching COVID has taken, you know, a long time, even for top level athletes. And so, yeah, it's what makes me sad. I think that Fulham are going to lose him in the summer. Um, yeah, my I, next I think question was going to be what what next? I think he's going to go. I would imagine Fulham will probably accept a bid around 20-odd million for Anguissa um, and look to try and reinvest that in the squad. I hope he doesn't. I hope we see him in the championship. I hope that he is part of this Fulham squad going forward. But I, I'd be very surprised considering he didn't want to play in the championship last time. I can't see why a little bit further on in his career and at a better place in his career, he would decide that this is the time to do so. Yeah, it's just not going to happen, is it? Anguissa is way too good for the championship. And even now, you watch him like he's against Chelsea at the weekend. He went on this little run where he just so casually dribbled past three players and turned, ended up in the final third and he lost the ball there. But it, everything just comes so easy to him. And I think he finds it particularly difficult when when a team is struggling, well, mentally as much as anything at Fulham like they are. And I think he just needs players with more hope around him, to be honest. Um, he should, to be honest, he should just be in a better team. And I think that it'll be a good signing for someone this summer. It's just not what's out from at Fulham. I really like him. Just don't see him saying, and you know, you've got people like, you know, this Fulham have got loads of players to come back next season into the frame. And you've got people like, you know, Harrison Reed, who's already going to be committed. You know, Stefan Johansson potentially comes back in and, and these kind of guys, like they're all going to get a chance because Fulham are going to have to re relook at how they, they shape the squad. Um, so it'll be money that they have to get in. And, you know, Jean-Michel Sherry is also somebody that comes back from, from a loan spell. Um, and I think he's still got another year left on his contract at Fulham and they'll just have to find another home for him because I'm sure we won't be seeing him either. Yeah. Uh, Zambo's got, uh, I think he's up till 2023. Uh, I meant on... Seri on 2022. No, so yeah. So you, but you're in a better position with Zambo yeah. where you're, uh, oh, yeah, you've, yeah, got, yeah. you've got a bit more on it. Protect the asset, protect the asset. <laughs> um, and so you can, you, you can actually sell him for a reasonable amount. His stock has never been higher. Yeah. Uh, so you can sell him on, but you're faced with probably a minor loss and mm. it's just a shame. So that's why he ends up in the middle of the table in above him at 12. And honestly, I look at this already as I speak to you and I'm like, is this a good idea, Sam? Have you got this right? But we'll go with it anyway. It's locked in stone. It's Fabio Silva at 12 to Wolves for 36 million. It's a glorious display of <clears throat> nepotism. And um, I think a lot of people questioned it, but at the same time, like, I do actually have quite a lot of faith in Fabio Silva. I think he's going to be a really good player. And no, it's not gone very well this season. If you're judging it solely off that and you hadn't seen him in the youth league and for Porto and you're looking at me and going, Sam, what are you doing? Why is this kid 12th? I get you. He does look out of his depth right now, but this was never meant to be the situation, was it? He was coming in to learn. Raul Jimenez has, has been the unfortunate recipient of a horror injury and it's just thrown Wolves this season into turmoil. Silva has tread water and tried to keep his head above water and... He's just about managed it, but it hasn't quite gone to plan. I imagine in three years' time, we'll be looking back at his difficult maiden campaign during a pandemic in a new country when his lead striker and supposed mentor has fractured his skull. And we'll look back at that and go, yeah, it didn't look good at the time, but you're good now. You're good now. And again, we we we, we had that projection element. We look forward and we think, Fabio Silva's going to be a really good player. And um, forwards cost a lot of money. So this doesn't look great now, but I have faith in this deal. 
Yeah, I think this might be a bit low, Sam, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I agree with you on your your nefarious you know, complaints about how this one went down. And uh, you do have to look at it and think, hmm, I'm not sure that's how it's supposed to work, but it is how it works now. And and, and we've just got to you know, suck that up and accept it in some ways. Um, but I do think that he will be, he will go on to be uh, an excellent striker. And I, and I really do, you know, believe he is and will be again, that stone cold killer in the box that we saw at youth level. And, you know, you and I watched his campaigns in the youth league together for long parts in that, in that season. And we were both absolutely stunned by how good this kid was at 15 years old. He was, he, he was bullying teams on his own at 15. And yes, the step from youth level to senior level is not always smooth. It's not always easy. We see that from lots of players who kill it at youth level and, and just can't quite make the step up. I just don't believe Fabio Silva is going to be one of those players. I think you look at him in the Premier League now and physically he looks ready. You know, he doesn't he doesn't get bullied by centre backs in, in huge ways. He's not he's not out here looking like he's completely and utterly out of his depth. He just looks a little bit like he's getting to grips with everything. And he's not quite as confident in his own abilities at the moment. But, you know, the couple of goals that he would have got recently, and we spoke about accidental goals earlier, all of that will help, right? You, you knock in five in your debut campaign at 18 years old, and everyone's going to be like, yeah, it's all right. That's not bad. You know, mm. the fact that you weren't supposed to be playing, you're supposed to be in to learn and grow. Um, and I and I do think this one will come good. So I, I think perhaps a bit low, but... Um, I can understand why you've put him in here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, into 11 then, and we're just closing in on this top 10. This is another, I think this is going to be a contentious one with at least a couple of people, maybe one of you two, but it is a deal that I just never liked. And I still just don't like it's guilty Sigurdsson for 44 million to Everton mm -hmm. in 2017. So I've got him 11th. I just, I know he's a good player and his production has been okay. I just felt like, I mean, Everton's record at spending money is absolutely atrocious. I was actually looking through it as I was looking for the uh, the top transfers and it's they've spent some money really, really poorly, guys. But Sigurdsson at 44 million. I don't know, man. A team like Everton, you spend 44 million. I think you should have bought a game-changing player. But what, what I thought you, in the end, what you did buy was was a pretty good, pretty good creator with a hugely inflated price because he was at another Premier League team. I don't know. He's, he's he's not a game changer. He plays one position. You have to play through him. He does actually hold you back tactically sometimes. He's not the most mobile player. So as football became more athletic, he actually started to be left behind. I don't think he elevated Everton in a way that a £44 million signing in 2017 for Everton should have done. So I think a lot of people look at this and go, what? Gilfie Sigurdsson, great free kick taker, got me loads of fancy points, brilliant player. I just didn't think it was enough for how much they invested. Yeah, I think mm. it's pretty reasonable. I'd be interested to see what Dean thinks about this. <clears throat> I think at the time, I thought it was a good deal. Um, maybe maybe playing slightly more than you'd expect, but he's quite versatile as well. So what he gives you is... No, he isn't. He is, though, because you could play him like as a support striker. You could play him as an attacking midfielder or you could play him a bit deeper. Like There's three roles that I see that you can play him within a within a setup that Everton would have used over the past few years. I know they're all very similar, but they like from centre mid, there's two advanced positions ahead of that that you could use. And I think that they have utilised that quite a lot. I think that the problem with that is that you've never seen him play consistently in the same role. And as a result of that, one, it took him a while to even find a place in the team this season. Like the first half of the season, you only saw him in bits and pieces. Um, Back and in the last season, Ancelotti used a 4-4-2 and 
and he can't play in any. Well, of he doesn't those fit roles. that exactly. And he's he, just on the bench. It's like, yeah, well, that's the thing. He doesn't fit that. Four million pound player that you can't get into your best eleven. Like, yeah. it's madness. I mean, who was manager when they signed him? Yeah, I was going to say that does feel a bit harsh, Sam. We're four years on, and a tactical, you know, a couple of tactical managers on from that. You know, we, the changes do get made. Yes, I agree. If it was forty-four million that Angelotti had spent in the summer on him, mm. I couldn't get him into the side. I would be completely with you. But that is a very different situation to the situation in which they brought him in. Yeah, no, Ronald, Co- Ronald Koeman, by the way. Ronald Koeman was uh, was Everton right. manager at the time. And he said uh, he's a great player, one of the top players of his time. Um, in my opinion, uh, in his position, he is one of the best in the Premier League. And at that time, probably, probably right. Yeah. Not miles off. He probably was right. Like, what did he sign? A five-year deal at that time as well. I think I think at that moment in time, like you'd have been looking at Gilfie Sigurdsson and thinking that that was a really good signing. And I just don't think they've probably utilised him. Now that he's 31, we probably have seen the best of him. Um, obviously, he's still going to have a, a decent couple of years because of his ability from set pieces and, and, and the like. But his influence is never going to be the same again as it was a few years back. Now, I think what damns him in my in my list here is that I, I, I genuinely, I promise you, at the time it, the deal was made, I was like, I don't think you should have done that. I think that's 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 a silly thing to do, um, and it hasn't he hasn't really proved me wrong in a way. Like he's he had he had like basically one one pretty decent season, and then he was kind of okay. And again, a club like Everton spending that much money, I'm looking for a player that elevates. I'm well, looking, I'm looking for a player that elevates. I don't I think, think he did it. I think your positioning of him isn't miles off. I actually think you're probably just about right with where you've got him in this list. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure about the reasoning. <laughs> like that's that's where I'm at with this. I I actually think that you're you're almost spot on with the point that he he was probably a little bit too expensive. And if Everton had looked elsewhere for 44 million at 2017 for a player of that mold, they might have been able to do better. Like yeah. they might have been able to buy a player who actually changed. And look, we've been looking at this for a while, right? Everton are on the kind of that cusp of being like, oh, we want to challenge. We want to push on and challenge for these European spots. They bought him off a Tottenham side that were equally challenging for the European spots. It's not buying a player who, you know, at that time, the teams in that top four wouldn't have bought Gilfie Sigurdsson for that money. And if Everton were trying to challenge those teams to become a top four side or a top six side, I don't think that's what you do with it, right? I think you actually go out and buy someone who is going to change you. Like, I mean, look, we've seen what the impact of someone like Hamas Rodriguez can have, you know, and it hasn't been consistent. I, you know, when we look at it and you look at all the different elements, that was a free transfer. Like, you know, we're we're looking at... We're looking at a player that costs 40 million. I think that's different. And I think Everton could have spent this on a player that genuinely did change them. By the time, they also went on a massive spend. So they bought Jordan Pickford, Davy Klassen. They bought Michael Keane. They got Wayne Rooney. Like they went big that summer. Mm-hmm. And they were basically looking to, um, I guess, leapfrog the, the couple of the teams that were in and around them by having a big summer and thinking, right, let's get ahead of them quickly. And by signing, I mean, they signed a lot of players, like even like Sandro Ramirez and Cuco yeah. Martina were signed in that same that same period. And it was like, I'm looking at a list here, there's five or six others as well that didn't really work out. But um, they really went for it. And Everton do do this. Like every two or three years, Everton just sign like eight players and they're all like, you know, Blimey, I don't know what to make of this. And it's all quite <laughs> overwhelming, to be honest. And it, it never quite works out. But 
Yeah. When, when did Marcel Brands, director of football, step in in the timeline? I am willing to bet it is shortly after this happened. Yeah, it was in June 2018. So yeah. Somewhere after. Yeah. yeah I think I, I think see, someone at the club went, why. we need to be a bit smarter here. Mm-hmm. And Marcel Brands steps in. All right. Into the top 10. And at 10, I've got £20 million spent by Sheffield United on Sanderberg. And it's been a disaster season for them. I'm fully aware of that. Um, and it's been up and down for Berg as well, who's had some injuries. But what I would say here is they'll make their money back on Berg. And he produced some showings in that January to June or July period that were really quite special. And he had some really bright spots. He has some issues to his game as well. I'm not going to lie. Like the concentration and fitness levels sometimes desert him. And you, you see him in the 85th minute of a game and he's really huffing and puffing. Um but I think this is a I think this is a top player who bolstered Sheffield United in that January when they needed him to. Hasn't worked out this season for loads of different reasons. But they'll make I reckon they'll make them their money back in full on Berg, no question. Twenty million, they'll get that off someone in the in mid table of the Premier League, no problem. So Jack, in terms of protecting the asset, we're right on the money here. So if he can get through, a, I mean, a medical might be a. I mean, he had such a serious tendon injury. Did he? Um, I spoke to someone yeah that said that 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 injury was so severe and the surgery he had to it was serious. Um, so hopefully he can come back from this fully. I think he's obviously like coming back now and hopefully for his sake, especially because he's a great player. Um, there are no, there are no problems because he's definitely on the move this summer. Um, a couple of clubs, even Liverpool potentially looking at a, at a player like him um, if he's fully fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is fine. Uh, I'm absolutely okay with that being in at 10. I think he's, in fact, maybe he's a bit low, but crack on. Okay. All right. Number nine is Tongi Ndombele, 54 million in 2019. I absolutely love this player, first and foremost. But it is a strange one. He's been let down by a coach. He's had a hard time of it with some fairly lazy commentary. And it belies, the, the, the public opinion of him in places belies the incredible amount of talent that this man has. But you can't deny the fact that we're coming up to two years where now where it, it hasn't quite stuck. And for a £54 million player, like it, it probably should have stuck by now. I know there are reasons why. But I also worry, like, just projecting through to the future a bit, like what, what position do Tottenham actually want him to play? Like what partnership are they building? Like what, what steps are they taking to make this a definite success? And of course, if they had to sell him right now, if they decided they didn't want him anymore, they would be taking a loss. So I guess this is just a couple of question marks hanging over this deal. Nothing to do with the player's ability at all. Just the position they're in with him. What to do with him, what they could do with him, and how much he's worth and kind of what's happened. It's all been a bit weird. Yeah, no, I, th- I think these are all valid concerns. Again, like, he, I don't think anybody here or of the three of us is going to question Ndombele's ability. And, you know, in some ways, he's an incredibly unique player. Um, and, and to not have built around him seems like a massive... Uh, you know, oversight in so many ways. But then again, Tottenham have Harry Kane and Hume Son. So actually, you know, they are players that have been built around for years and therefore to chuck a new kind of a variable into that equation is going to bring its own issues. But I do hope that this can work out because I do think we, we are looking at a player who is genuinely absolute top of the class quality. Like he, he is world class and yeah. we are not quite seeing yet. So whether that's if Spurs have to sell him, um, I would say they would probably make a loss, but not too much of a loss at this mm. point if they would. But, you know, then again, we've talked to Dean about this summer and it not necessarily been the best time to buy or sell players. And in which case, one more year for Indomitable to really try and see him explode, I think would be would be very useful here. 
Mm. Into number eight, and it's the first genuinely massive name. Finally, we've got to the meat of it. Adam Webster, £22 million to Brighton in 2019. I think he's with add-ons eclipsing Neil Mopai, and that's good news for Brighton because Mopai can't finish his own dinner, so he'd be way down this list. But Webster, low-key, very good player. Yeah, really good. Like, very good. And like 20 20 to £22 million, in terms of investment, it's it's not it's not massive. Like it's not a massive amount of money. And what they've bought is a homegrown modern centre back who's really solid, really good on the ball, hard as nails, gets the odd goal, can play in a back four, can play in a back three. Adam Webster is a player that lots of the top clubs, if they were looking at homegrown talent, like could could easily look at and think, all right, well, 30, 35 million, like it wouldn't be a bad deal. Like they've They've bought someone that has appreciated in value, has been really consistently good for them and is homegrown. Like, I just think it's a really, like, really good deal. This is a great masterclass in how to spend money effectively, isn't it? Mm. Like, this is the fact that the fact that Brighton's record signing is 22 million and the fact that it is Webster is just like, oh, you've just done this really well, haven't you? That's just a very good signing that fits into your club, that has walked in, found a spot, has been able to shift through a couple of tactical changes for you and just done the business when he's been asked upon. This is just, it is an incredibly solid piece of business, like, yeah. remarkably efficient. I think solid and efficient is how I describe it too. And that's why he's not really punching into that kind of like, you know, top five, top six area, because it is, it is solid. It has it's not setting ce- the world on fire. It, it's it Adam ha- Webster. It has its ceiling, but there is nothing wrong with this deal. Nothing. Yeah, absolutely fine. Into seven. Again, we need a little bit of projection moving forward, but I feel pretty confident in saying that Ollie Watkins is a very good signing for Aston Villa. Very good first season. 13 Premier League goals every single minute played. Every single minute played. There are five outfield players this season that have played every single minute. Watkins is one. Any ideas on the other four? So I just started a pub quiz. Oh, it's I mean, really good. Good question, though. We probably don't have time for it. No. We don't. Can you just tell us them? <laughs> I can, yeah. It's so, all right. No, no answers. It's Pierre-Emil Hoybier, James Ward-Prowse, Harry Maguire, and Thomas Suchek. Mm, interesting. Good company and, there. Good and Ollie Watkins. Yeah, the Iron Men of the Premier League season. But Watkins, because the fact that he is such an energetic and press heavy and channel running forward, it makes the fact that he's played every single minute just all the more impressive, I think. Um, he's had his England debut this season. He's obviously scored his first goal, although it is against San Marino. And overall, kind of changed the face of Villa's attack. Excellent player. And you know, to sp- they spent some money on him. 28 rising to 32, overtook Wesley as the club record again. Very fortunate for Villa that we're not doing this based on Wesley. Um, but Watkins is a solid, a solid investment who's already born fruit and I presume either just retains this level, which is, you know, he's on for what 15 Premier League goals, or maybe he just even gets even better. Yeah, it's, it's this versatility again, isn't it? It's the fact that yes, he is primarily a nine, but he's come from being a winger. So if you wanted to to shift him out wide to try and add some spark, if you're bringing on you know a big man in the middle to late on in games, he he can shift wide and has shown that he can score goals from that position. Made his international debut. He's incredibly hardworking. He, he gets goals. He's just done all of it. He's done everything right. And and and, and I think that this is. Pretty much, yeah. Again, spot on. He, yeah. He's been excellent. It's just a really, really good bit of business from Villa. This handy for uh, Brentford, by the way, because now that they've seen Ollie Watkins do this, they're like, "Oh, we've got another striker who's doing all right right now and is in uh, is catching a, a few eyes." Uh, so Ivan Tony will go for even more than Ollie Watkins went for um, if Brentford don't get to the Premier League. 
Yeah, there you go. Ivan Tony could be on this list next year. Well, yeah. we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, okay, into number six, and we put Chris Wood here. Chris Wood was fifteen million pounds back in twenty seventeen, and courtesy of his hat trick last week, he became one of six players to score ten or more Premier League goals in every season in those four years. He keeps some incredible company there. He really does. You're talking about Mohamed Salah, Harry Kane, Alex Lacazette, Kumin Son and Jamie Vardy. So Chris Wood is not always the easiest on the eye, but he's a consistent goal scorer. He's an absolute handful. He's a really good player in just a very kind of understated and old-fashioned way. And you spend £15 million on a striker nowadays. I know this was four years ago, but you spend £15 million on a striker. You genuinely can't expect that much. In that market, you are in the £25 to £30 million range. The, the player we just discussed, Watkins, was roughly £30 million. So for half that, to get that consistent production, and to to fit in so seamlessly as well, it's just a it's just a wonderful piece of matching a type of a style of forward, a profile of player to a system. He's been brilliant. Match made in heaven, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's just one of those where they 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 worked out what they needed. They brought in exactly the player they needed, and shock horror. He's, he's done a really, really good job since he's come in. And that's it, isn't it? You look at sometimes some of these things and you're just thinking, what are you doing? You're just chucking chucking money at a problem rather than going this is what we're we're looking out for and this is what we need right now and and you go back to the, the players at the bottom of this list you go back to a joel linton and you go back to a pepe right and what in those cases what we were complaining about or you were complaining about is is the fact that they looked at a problem and didn't go okay let me actually work out the player that fits what i'm trying to do here and bring them in to make it work chris wood and Burnley were just built for each other in so many different ways. And, and let's be honest, he's those 10 goals plus in every season that he's been here have kept Burnley in the division on, you know, you're looking at th- maybe three or four occasions yeah. apart from maybe this the year they finished seventh. Mm. We're looking at, we're looking at the rest of them. Those goals are what have kept Burnley up. And, and that in itself is exactly what you want a record signing to be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. We go into the top five now, boys. It gets really murky here because the fees start to shoot up. And when you're comparing these players to players that are costing, you know, in the realm of 15, 20, 25 million, it suddenly shoots up to above 50 and 60. It starts to get a little bit difficult to ascertain exactly how valuable these players have been. But I gave it a stab and I've ended up putting Paul Pogba at number five. You've got Kai Havertz so high, so high. Go on. 2016 Pogba. £89 million. Topsy-turvy time of it probably doesn't even begin to cover it. Very difficult player to judge at certain points. Treated very poorly by a series of managers, which hasn't helped. Right now, he's playing most of the football off the left wing, which is an absolute nightmare for him. After exiting Mourinho's dungeon, we thought it might get better for him, but actually, it's arguably got worse. But at the very least, when he's given the opportunity, he always shows his quality in the end. My concern here is that while like there's there's no issue with with in terms of like what he's delivered on the pitch, again one of those players that sweeps across and is genuinely wonderful to watch. You get the opportunity to watch Pogba live, you'll really change your opinion of him big time. We come back to that uh, asset value, and I don't I don't he doesn't seem to have a position in the team right now, which is madness to consider because he's if not the best player in the team, then the second best player behind Bruno Fernandes. And he's got a year left on his deal and there's all these rumours and questions over his future and his price. And what do they get back for him? You know, has it all been worth it? It's been, it's been very difficult to judge here. But I've ended up putting him in fifth because he's a top five player, no doubt, and deserving of that. But what do, what do you, where does this end? What happens next? I really don't, I really don't know. I would throw this mm. to Dean immediately. 
I don't think he's been worth £89 million because I don't think Man United have utilised the, the asset. Um, they, they do have one of the best players in the world and you wouldn't know that from their use of him since he joined. Like Paul Pogba, for all the time he's been there, he's going to, well, he looks back right now and he's won a League Cup and the Europa League. He might add the Europa League again this year. Like That's not what Pogba was striving for when he went back to Man United. He was looking at competing for the Premier League and the Champions League. And he's been playing in a team that have been the tier below that. And a big reason for it was because they kept changing managers and systems and projects and whatever else. And he didn't seem to fit into any of them, really. None of them made him the key to what they were doing. Um, you know, Mourinho, Solskjaer, just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why nobody's embraced this man. Um, it was a good spell with him and Zlatan together under Mourinho. There was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But why was it so fleeting? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you see him at his best and you're like, this is it. We build around him. And then Fernandez arrives and you build around him. And I don't think that probably the Fernandez arrival actually helped Pogba much because it made you ask even more questions about well, where's he going to play? Well, yeah. do you think that? Because actually when him and Bruno have played together and especially with Cavani in that mix, they have been absolutely sublime. Yeah, but it when? depends on who that other midfielder is. Yeah. Like. It comes back to our age old problem, doesn't it? Well, get, if, get if six. Man United get a six and they played Bruno and Pogba next to each other in that side, I, I think that this could become one of the most fruitful partnerships in, in world football. If they do that and they sign you know, a right winger of the mould of Jadon Sancho, United should compete for the Premier League next season. They've got to decide now because Pogba needs to find out this summer what happens with his contract. Um, so Man United either need to sell him or give him a new contract, which is going to be worth 400 grand a week. He'll be their top earner. He'll be a pay rise. And um, at that point, you really do have to be like, this guy's playing every week, no matter what, and we're going to find a way to make it work. So let's see if they go down that route. Look, Edward Wood's leaving the club. That complicates things a bit around negotiations. Perhaps it helps um, dealing with his agent. Perhaps it makes his agent just wonder what on earth is going to happen at his club next. So it's going to be an interesting time. Here's my question for you. When I'm trying to figure out, is this too high? Is it too low? What's happened? Is Paul Pogba for 89 million a better or worse deal than Chris Wood for 15 million? What a ludicrous question. It's a worse deal. It's a worse deal. deal. You think it's 100% worse? Like, no doubt about it whatsoever. I would have Pogba literally about 10th in this list for value for money. I I think think Dean's not miles off, if I'm honest. And I love Paul Pogba. Yeah, it's nothing to do with Pogba. It's to do with their use of him at 89 million pounds. And I I think we're about to do another one. So let's go to four. Yeah. Yeah, four is Kai Havertz. Yeah, no, I think I I don't think you can have Kai Havertz this high right now, and that's coming from me, who said that I think he's a future Ballon d'Or winner. I don't think right now you can have him this high in this list. I mean, I understand that, but I have been layering in the word projection all afternoon. Yeah, and, but uh, to that's a very point, imp- mate. That's very important. I mean, I have, like like with I have absolute faith in Fabio Silva as a player, so I have no issue with that deal. Whereas a lot of people would be like, the kids are useless. What have you done? I yeah. wouldn't have Kai Havertz as low as I think I'd have Paul Pogba because I ha- because in that projection sense, he hasn't had the opportunity yet to prove where he sits in this list. But I don't think you can have him above Chris Wood, who has proved in the last four seasons time and time again, how useful and important he has been for his club. That's where I'd be right now. I'm, and I understand, like, I just struggle so hard to wrap my head around this comparison because it's such a weird... Yeah, yeah, of course, a mate. This weird, is it. This is weird the fun. way this of, is the, of thinking this is the about debate, it. right? That's the more, why it's fun. 
as I think about it a little bit more, I think your case for Chris Wood being above both of these chaps is very strong. We might have to make we might have to make an emergency <laughs> change. Change the graphic. <laughs> but I'm keeping uh, well, the graphic hasn't been made yet, so we're all right. <laughs> um, but I'm happy to keep Havertz very high up. Obviously, Fine. like I have absolute faith in the player, and you do as well, because you keep calling him a generational talent and a Ballon d'Or winner in the future. Um, started to flash that brilliance you referenced earlier um, and Gisa getting you know COVID and the suggestions of long COVID no doubt Kai Havertz has struggled with long COVID absolutely no doubt in my mind at all adapt to a new league and a new and a new country and you get long COVID that's a nightmare but we started to see over the last couple of months that he can absolutely wreck games just as we know knew that he could um, so he's he's high up because it was a 72 million pound deal with add-ons that for Chelsea's sake, that's very good because it means Kepper isn't in this list at all, who would be bottom. He wouldn't actually know, wouldn't be below Ben Gibson. He wouldn't. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, wouldn't be, be below get Ben Gibson. Anyway, carry on. Um, but Havertz, Havertz, for me, I've got the faith in the player. And so he goes into goes into fourth. Okay. All right. I, he's I, actually I, he's actually gone to fifth because Chris Wood's now fourth. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, who's in at three then? At three is Rodri. Right. Okay. Rodri cost 63 million in 2019. He's one of mm. the multiple examples of City spending a lot of money on a player, but doing it in an under radar and under the radar kind of way in which they didn't spend a hundred million on anybody. They just spent 60 million on everybody and turns out a lot of these deals actually work out quite nicely and Rodri after a bit of a slow start slightly iffy beginning to Premier League life gave away probably three passes per game I thought what the hell are you doing he's really cleaned it up defensively active mobile aerial threat odd goal very comfortable with a system that asked him to pass the ball a hundred times pretty much the mould of the modern defensive midfielder because he's got the size and the strength and the mobility. And over the last couple of years, I think it's really clicked tactically as well. Yeah, so this is this is very much uh, a Busquets-style player. I don't think he'll ever be as good as Busquets was, but he's, you know, build-wise and style-wise, Spain are in really good hands here and, and City are too. You know, the, 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 the crown, the Fernandinho crown has been passed and we didn't think that would be very smooth, but it hasn't been that bad. We, do you remember one of our first ever episodes back when we would be our football ranks uh, was City were linked with Saul. Yeah. And we spent ages being like, don't sign Saul, sign Rodri. Yeah. Sign Rodri. Rodri is the player you need. And then for a little while, it looked like we were absolute Muppets. Mm. And then after the, that, that little settling pin period, we were like, oh yeah, we got that one right. Um, yeah, cool. and, and, and that's always nice. I, I think this is probably about spot on, mate. So I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Totally okay. fair. This is what's great about City, by the way. Yeah, like it's crazy that City, for all their spending, that's their that's their highest spend on a player. Rodri, what was it? 63? 63, This yeah. is a bit like, it's a bit like the Webster's like, deal on, but like on steroids, right? What they did was <laughs> they've, they've, they've realised what they needed. They've found the player that fitted the system from what they needed and they brought him in. Bang. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. They've also night. spent 50 million on about five left backs but and right also, backs. But... It's also one of those where like, I think that you, the, the kind of reward is greater in, in, our, in my kind of head because the risk is greater of spending 63 million. And that's why this is above, for me, a Wood or a Webster because you've taken the bigger risk and therefore have brought in a player of, of obviously like top draw quality, um, but it's also fitted into exactly what City needed. So that's where yeah. I'm at with it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's good. Right. Into number two, we have two names left. And in its second, I've decided to put Yuri Tielemans for mm-hmm. 40 million joining Leicester in 2019. Yep. What a player. Yep. It's what a nothing bad to say about this player. He is consistently excellent. He can do pretty much everything in midfield. 
He's almost always available. Wonderful passer of the football, wonderful mediator of the midfield, just a, an absolute midfield general. And for 40 million signing in that January period, you know, we were screaming, weren't we? What, like Leicester at that time were not at the point they are right now. They were, they were not a, a kind of top four elect. They were still trying to punch their way into that bracket. And we're looking at all those other clubs in that bracket and we're going, look what Leicester are doing. They're screwing you over. They're going to leapfrog you because they're making deals like this. And Tiena Mons was one of those deals. 40 million is an absolute bargain for this player. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And if they were to sell him now, what would he be worth? At least 80. Exactly. And and that that's that's the marker, isn't it? That's yeah. the marker. That's the big that's the big one that you look at and go, right now, if you were to sell him, you would have doubled your profit on on what you're looking at. And and, and that's major, despite the fact that he's not going to be sold because he's the key the key cog in, in a Leicester City midfield, which is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Um I don't think he did he sign his new contract in the end? I don't think he did. Um but they have been trying to to get him to sign a new deal. Um because I, you'd imagine anybody looking for a player in his position that's like a top Champions League club is coming knocking straight away. So, um, yeah, what a signing that is. Yeah, really he's good. Hint, that- he's hinted that he's going to ready to sign. He said he's really having fun. Mm. He's basically waiting to see if they bottle the Champions League again. Yeah, yeah, probably. And yeah. that's fair enough. But I don't it's think they're going to do it this year. So I think we'll probably get a little bit more of Yuri in Leicester. And that leads us to number one, boys. And it's such a shame that this man has been absent for so long, but... I think the impact he made since signing for Liverpool in 2018 for a lot of money, a lot of money, it just changed everything for this club. It's Virgil van Dijk to Liverpool for 75 million. They waited five months to get their man after failing to extract him from Southampton in the summer and they got him in the winter. Literally, the moment he stepped in, everything changed. His first game was the FA Cup game against Everton, the local rivals, and he scored in it and he kept a clean sheet and everyone immediately knew that they had signed just a completely different class of player. And you have to take yourself back sometimes. You have to remind yourself that at this point, Liverpool were a thrilling, frenetic attacking side with Sadio Mane and and Mohamed Salah in it. But they were defensively so leaky. They were such a poor unit at the back. And Van Dijk was the first building block to really changing the face of this team, changing the reputation of this team and changing the way in which they operated and the way that we've now become accustomed to them operating, which is league champions, Champions League champions. You know, they are, they have been probably the best team in Europe over an 18-month span very recently. And I think we've seen how important he is to that in the months that have gone by since he was um, taken out of proceedings. So it's, 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 a, it's a serious impact. I think he's been basically perfect. Boys, yeah. that's that's ultimately where I am with it. Yeah, uh, very hard to disagree, mate. Um, this yeah. is this is it. And you you ask anyone, you ask the Liverpool fans, and I think look, they'll also say to you that how important Allison was coming in, right, and 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 changing things. But this was where it all just flipped. This mm. was the moment where Liverpool went from being that kind of like chaotic challenger to, you know, they're going to win something very, very soon. And it's just, it's just ready to happen. They went, they, they became almost a champion side in waiting. And I don't mean that in terms of just the Premier League, but just across Europe, they became a side that we knew were just waiting to win a trophy. And his impact, I think is just, it can't be overstated. So I, I, I don't think you're going to find too many people that will disagree with you here, mate, if I'm honest. 
yeah. that, gives us, that gives us the top three of Van Dijk at one, Tielemans at two, and Rodri at three, with the illustrious Chris Wood just off the podium in fourth. Oh, Chris Wood in the Champions League places. That's exactly <laughs> what you want to see, if I'm being perfectly honest. All right, we've run actually a bit long there, so I'm going to call this a little bit shorter. We're only going to have two parts this episode. But before we go, Dean, we have to do my favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is... Holston kills Finn Bartles. Great name. Now, this guy had a mare. So you're up against Borussia Dortmund. You're thinking, oh, I'm going to carp against Jaden Sancho at some point. Hope he doesn't make me look silly. Six minutes into the, the DFP Pokal semi-final on Saturday. Bartles is face-to-face with Jaden Sancho. And he was thrown so far off balance by a dummy that Sancho threw that he literally tripped over his own feet and fell over. It went viral. Uh, Sancho throws a shoulder. like he, he, He's like teasing him, teasing him. Throws his right shoulder like he's going to cut inside, but then doesn't just stand still and like starts teasing again. And Bartles is thrown so off balance and he's trying to focus and just tumbles over like a child. <laughs> it's so funny. But six minutes into a cup semi-final against Borussia Dortmund, it isn't great for your own morale or that of your team, is it? They lost the game 5-0 and that pretty much summed up the way things went from there, to be honest. This this was hilarious. It was it was very, very funny. It reminded me of, do you remember when Daily Blind absolutely destroyed Emre Chan with a proper, proper shoulder feint? And Chan just yeah. absolutely flying. Yeah. It's one of those, it's like you do the feint and it's so convincing and the players like so off balance, they just they collapse it's so good it's so embarrassing but it's so good yeah i feel a bit sorry for him because it's proper melanish imagine that though you know what they say like yeah win your first challenge yeah <laughs> nah <laughs> it just on your face with him mate just stay on your feet it's yeah. very taxi isn't it that's, that's exactly where i was at with it you know it was there was there were people being like oh we sent him for a hot dog yeah absolutely gone to shops for a pint of milk see you later my friend <laughs> i think i'd be like i'm injured just get me off just just yeah, bring just hold your groin on. or your hamstring yeah. or something uh it's unfortunate that i've got injured in this tackle i was trying to like just like head straight down <laughs> the, the thing he wasn't even a tackle he was about two yards away from him because he's trying to stand up to him yeah poor oh, bloke dear. it is a shame sorry finn you are the melon of the week and and that is pretty much all we've got time for. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Sam Ty. Cheers, mate. I'm off for a lie down. Yeah, good ranking. Good work, mate. I'm proud of you. You've, you've done very, very well there. Um, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Rank 70. Thank you for listening as ever. And if you do fancy dropping us a review and a rating on iTunes, we'd be much obliged. Thanks, Rank Squad, and we'll see you soon. Take it easy. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 